The catechism question that we are considering this evening is uh, number 36, what is justification? It builds upon the previous uh, question, of course, where um, the benefits that we receive in Christ when we are effectually called to him were identified as justification, sanctification, and, adop- and adoption, and several other, other benefits too, which flow from those. And now our catechism is asking, well, what is justification then? And here is the answer that is given. I think it is a good custom for you to repeat after me, adults and children together. Justification is an act of God's free grace. Wherein he pardons all our sins. And accepts us as righteous in his sight. Only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. And received by faith alone. Let us go now to Romans chapter 3 and read verses 21 through 30, and we will see that this indeed is a wonderful summary of the clear teaching of Holy Scripture. Romans 3, verse 21. Hear now the word of the Lord. The Apostle Paul wrote, saying, But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. So far the reading of God's most holy word. May he add his blessing to the preaching of it this evening. I think it is fair to say that the doctrine of justification is among the most important doctrines of the Christian faith. There are other doctrines that are of supreme importance. For example, it is imperative that we think correctly about the inspiration and authority of Holy Scripture, the nature and attributes of God, and the person and work of Christ. Uh, Truly, there is no such thing as an unimportant doctrine, since all doctrines, they hang together. In other words, what we think about one doctrine will inevitably impact what we think about other doctrines as well. But I'm sure that you would agree with me that some doctrines are more foundational, they are more central to the Christian faith than others. And the doctrine of justification is one of those foundational and central doctrines. The doctrine of justification, which we are considering this evening, 
it falls under the heading of the doctrine of salvation. When we talk about justification, we are in general asking the question, how can a sinner be made right with God? How can that happen? And certainly this question should be of great concern to us. We know that we are by nature sinners who stand guilty before God. So how, how can that be remedied? How can we be made right before God? I think it is well understood that this question was a central concern of that movement that was sparked in the 16th century by Martin Luther, commonly called the Protestant Reformation. The Reformers did not randomly decide to fixate on the doctrine of justification, but they were forced to, given that this central and foundational doctrine had been so terribly distorted by the church as it developed, or we might say degenerated, in the medieval period. In the days leading up to the Protestant Reformation, it was commonly taught and believed that a person was justified, that is to say, made right before God, not by the grace of God alone and by faith in Christ alone, but by works also. That was the common teaching. In that day, to be justified, men and women thought, God must do his part and you must do yours. So there was a kind of cooperation that was required in order for a sinner to be justified. That, that was the view, simply stated. And there is only one problem with that view. It's not true. That's the problem with it. It's not true according to the scriptures. The reformers were able to recover the truth regarding justification only because they first understood that the scriptures are our authority for truth and not tradition, as the Romanists were teaching and still teach to this present day. And so, in the time of the Reformation, there were five solas, or alones, which summarized the Reform position. The Reformers taught sola scriptura, that scripture alone is our authority for truth, Sola gratia, that grace alone uh, is uh, why we are saved. Sola fide, that this salvation is received by faith alone. Sola Christus, that it's through Christ alone. And soli deo gloria, which means that all of this is to the glory of God alone. These five solas, as they are called, uh, sort of give an overview of, of the, the essence of, of the Protestant Reformation. You will notice that four of the five solas have the question of justification in view. How can a sinner be made right with God? Well, the Reformed said, and, and we agree with them, uh, first of all, that we must go to the Scriptures to find out, for the Scriptures alone are our authority for truth. Indeed, that is perhaps the, the, the most important thing that the Reformer said. How, how do we know what is true? We must go to the Scriptures. Sola Scriptura, the Scriptures alone are our authority for truth. Tradition may be helpful, of course, it is valuable for us to pay attention to what those who have gone before us have said concerning the scriptures, no doubt about that. But ultimately, and at the end of the day, it is the scriptures that are our authority for truth. And when we go to the scriptures and we ask the question, how can a sinner be justified? How can a person be made right with God? The scriptures are very clear. It's by the grace of God alone, through faith in Christ alone, and to the glory of God alone. That is the answer that we receive and that teaching that I've just overviewed for you in the five solas is communicated very clearly. It's summarized for us in our catechism from question one onward. You heard all of that, this idea that our justification is by the grace of God alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, and to the glory of God alone. You heard all of that when I read Romans three twenty-one through 30. 
just a moment ago. It is a very important text. It's a glorious text. There we learn that the righteousness of God, that is to say the righteousness that God requires and provides, is made available to sinners apart from the law, though the law and the prophets bear witness to it. In other words, no one will be made right with God by law-keeping. It's not possible, for we have all violated God's law in thought, word, and deed. We cannot be justified through obedience to God or good works. And so when the Romanists teach that we are justified by grace through faith and merit, when they add that and merit, they in fact contradict the clear teaching of Scripture and they, and they obliterate the gospel. The gospel becomes no gospel at all. It no longer is good news. In fact, it is bad news because if we understand our, our capacity, if we understand our ability, we will confess that we cannot do anything good apart from the grace of God to earn salvation. And we cannot overcome this fact that we have already violated God's law in thought, word, and deed, and therefore stand guilty before Him. Nothing we can do is going to remedy that problem. So we learn in Romans 3, 21 through 30, that this righteousness of God, it cannot be obtained by law-keeping. That is through, through the law even though the law and the prophets bear witness to it. In other, in other words, the law and the prophets, the Old Testament scriptures, they do point forward to justification through faith in Christ alone. The gospel is embedded within them. Uh, the apostle is clear, we are justified by grace. It is a gift to be received, not a reward to be earned. And how is justification received? Well, it is received by faith, faith in the Christ who laid down his life as a propitiation. That means a sacrifice to atone for sin and appease God's wrath. And so God accomplished our salvation in this way so that he might be both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Paul notes in that passage also, as he does in many other places, that there is no room for boasting, therefore. We are justified, not because of anything that we have done, but because of what God has done for us in sending His Son and in calling us to Himself through faith in Him. This is the gospel, pure and undefiled. It is all by the grace of God and not of works, so there is no room for boasting. What can we do? We can only give glory to God when we consider the gospel. And then Paul concludes with, that, with the words, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised, that is to say the Jew, by faith, and the uncircumcised, that is to say the Gentile, through faith. And so no, there is not one way of salvation for the Jews and another for the Gentiles. All have broken God's law and are guilty. So if any are to stand righteous before God, the God of all creation, then they must be found in Christ, who is the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. As I have said before in these sermons on the Lord's Day evening, our catechism is simply a summary of the teaching of Holy Scripture concerning doctrines that are foundational and central to the Christian faith. It is a summary. The Catechism provides a very brief summary of the doctrines, and, so, and, and, and it does so in the form of questions and answers. Our Confession of Faith also summarizes the teaching of Holy Scripture. Do not forget about our, question, our, our confession. Uh, it does not uh, present uh, these doctrines in the form of question and answer, but it simply declares them 
still in a rather succinct way, but more thoroughly than our catechism does. Both documents are very useful in their own ways. And I would encourage you to look at the Second London Confession of Faith, chapter 11, for a more thorough presentation of the doctrine of justification than what our catechism provides. But for now, let us briefly consider Baptist Catechism 36, piece by piece. I think it is a, it is a marvelous little presentation of the Bible's teaching on justification. Again, what is justification is the question. And the first thing we learn is that justification is an act of God's free grace. So who is the one who justifies? Notice that it is not we who justifies, ju justify ourselves, but it is God who justifies us. That might seem like an obvious observation, but it's a very important observation to make. We do not justify ourselves. God is the one who justifies us. That is what our catechism teaches. Justification is an act of God's free grace. And why does he justify a sinner? What has moved him to do such a thing? Well, nothing deserving within the sinner. Justification is an act of God's free grace. He, he justifies a sinner freely. It is by grace, which means that it is a gift, pure and simple. It is a gift. I think it is very important for us to be able to distinguish the difference between a gift and a wage. Do you know the difference between the two things? Uh, they might look similar at the moment of transaction, right? They both involve someone giving something to someone else. They might look similar at the moment of transaction, but a gift and a wage are very different things. And Paul actually makes this distinction in Romans 4, not long after the passage that we have read this evening. He teaches us the difference between a gift and and a wage. When someone gives you something and calls it a gift, what does that mean? It means that you, you did nothing to earn it, nor is anything expected of you in the future to earn the thing that has been given to you. That is what makes a gift a gift. It is freely given. If the person gives you something, money or some other thing, as compensation for something that you did, or as compensation for something that you are expected to, to do in the future, then it is not a gift. It is a wage. It has been earned. It is payment for some good or service that was or will be rendered. And Paul is adamant in Romans chapter 4 that justification is a gift that is received. It is not a reward or payment to be earned in any way. And so our catechism is right to say that justification is an act of God's free grace. It is a free gift that he gives to undeserving sinners such as you and me. Next we find the word wherein. Uh, that word wherein in our catechism indicates that we are about to be told what justification involves. It involves certain things. And two things are mentioned. One, when we are justified, God pardons all our sins. This means that he forgives our sins, excuses our sin, and declares us not guilty. As I have said before, this is legal terminology. You can hear it. If, if you were to imagine a scene playing out in your mind, you're probably going to imagine a judge with a gavel declaring a sinner not guilty. The judge of all the earth pardons us the moment we are justified. And two, we learn that he accepts us as righteous in his sight. And so this legal declaration, not guilty, brings about a change as it pertains to our position before God. We are, the moment we are justified, moved from standing guilty 
before the judge to being now righteous in his sight. And I think if we were to ponder these truths, we would admit that this is marvelously good news. Not only does God pardon us, he makes us righteous. He does not merely forgive our sins so that he might send us away not guilty. That would be marvelous too, I suppose, right? To have our sins forgiven, to be pardoned, and to be sent away not guilty. But there's more to it than that. He also makes us righteous so that we might stand before him, so that we might enjoy sweet communion with him in financial terms. He does not merely forgive our great debt so that we have a balance of zero, only to send us away as broke beggars. But instead, he makes a deposit to our account of infinite worth so that we stand before him rich and well supplied. Do you see the difference between the two things? Both of these things are given to us in our justification. We are pardoned and we are made righteous. We are pardoned and we are made righteous so that we might have communion with the living God. And how does he do this? How can the judge of all the earth simply pardon sin and make those who have been pardoned righteous? One might even ask, is it even right for him to do this? To just excuse sin? I think you would probably be rather bothered by a judge, an earthly judge, having a guilty criminal stand before him who has committed a vile sin, and for that judge to simply say, let's just forget about it. You know, let's just move on from this and pretend it never happened. Uh, that would probably stir something up within you. You would maybe say, well, that seems unjust. Doesn't this vile sinner, <laughs> this criminal, deserve justice? Uh, doesn't he deserve to be punished? And in fact, he does. And, and so we have a kind of problem here, I think, a question. Um, how does God do this? How, how does he pardon sinners and yet remain righteous in, in so doing? And this is a problem that Paul addresses in that passage we have been considering. I wonder if you remember the little phrase, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That's an interesting phrase. So that he might be both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So, so somehow God has found a way to remain just as the judge of all of the earth while pardoning sinners as he does. Uh, that little phrase concludes a little section wherein Paul is wrestling with the question that we are now considering. How can God simply pardon sin? In other words, is it right or just for God to simply pardon sin? And if you follow the apostle, you will see his answer. God is able to be both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus because of the way that he has accomplished our redemption in brief. He has provided a substitute for us. Someone truly righteous has died in the place of sinners. And we know that that is Christ Jesus our Lord. He has kept God's law perfectly on our behalf and in our place. And he has also bore the wrath of God fully in our place. He has died as a substitute for sinners. The wrath of God being poured out upon him. The punishment for our sin being laid upon him. And in this way God is able to be both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And, and notice lastly our catechism concludes by making this very point saying only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. Okay, So these are, these are the two things that justification involves. We, we are pardoned and we are made righteous. How does that happen? Again, 
only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. We are pardoned because our sins were paid for by Christ on the cross. That is why we are pardoned. He actually did something on the cross. He actually paid for sins. By the way, this is why we believe in that doctrine called limited atonement. It is not the only reason we believe it. We also believe it because the scriptures teach it directly and clearly. But also think of it. Who did Christ die for? Whose sins did he pay for? Certainly, certainly the elect of God, those who will be brought to glory in the end, those who will certainly believe upon Christ. Um, we are pardoned because our sins were actually paid for by Christ on the cross. He stood in our place as our substitute. He bore the wrath that was owed to us. He paid the penalty that we deserve to pay. Our sins are forgiven because they have been paid for by Christ. And we stand before God righteous, because Christ has given us His righteousness. So a great exchange has taken place. Christ took our sin away. He removed our sin-stained garments. And we have been clothed in white. Christ's righteousness having been imputed to us. And so we stand before God pure. We have been reconciled to Him. The problem of the guilt of our sin having been removed. And how is all of this received? How do, we, how do we come to have all of this? How do we come to be justified? Uh, the catechism is clear, and it is true to the teaching of Scripture, by faith. By faith alone. Not faith and merit. Not faith and good works, but, but by faith. faith. Faith is trusting in the work of another. Faith is running into the arms of Jesus for rescue. To have faith in Christ means that you have abandoned all hope and confidence in yourself and that you look to Christ alone for the forgiveness of sins. And I'll put this question to you this evening. How else could we possibly receive this gift of salvation if not by faith? How could we receive this gift of salvation if not by faith? Any other means of receiving salvation would turn salvation from being a gift to be received into a reward to be earned. For Jesus Christ, salvation was a reward to be earned. For Jesus Christ, salvation was a reward to be earned. He earned it through His active and passive obedience to the Father. He perfectly accomplished God's will. He kept God's law and He suffered in the whole of life and in death. Christ earned salvation but he gives this salvation to God's elect as a gift. And I am asking, how else could this gift possibly be received if not by faith? For example, if God were to say to us, salvation is yours provided that you do so many good works. Or provided that you obey my law more than you disobey it. Or provided that you love me enough, or serve me enough, or climb this mountain, or make this pilgrimage, or give this alm. Do you get the point? If us receiving this salvation were made contingent upon anything else except simple belief and trust in Christ, then it would turn this gift into a wage to be earned somehow. If anything besides faith is the means, then, then that would be the result. We would have to earn it in some way. And indeed, that was the doctrine that was presented in those days uh, prior to the Protestant Reformation. It's still presented today uh, by the Romanists. But the true biblical teaching is that justification is received 
by faith alone. Why? Because it is a gift from God. And so we must simply extend the hand of faith and receive that gift from God in Christ. If salvation is a wage to be earned, then the gospel is no gospel at all, for we are helpless sinners. This idea that I've just presented to you, that faith is really the only right way that we might receive this gift so that it remains a gift, this idea, it's not mine. Paul said the very thing in Romans 4, 16. There he says, That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. That is Romans 4.16. So I must ask you, by way of conclusion, are you justified? Are you justified? Have your sins been pardoned? And have you been clothed with the righteousness of Christ? Do you stand righteous before God today? Stated differently, do you have faith in Christ? Because if you do, this is what happens to you. The moment you believe, you are justified. And this might seem like a strange question to ask a group of people who have assembled in Jesus' name on the Lord's Day evening to offer up worship to God. I, I do understand that this might seem like a strange question to ask, but I want you to consider these things. One, the audio of this teaching is being recorded. Who knows who will listen to it in the future? Perhaps the Lord would use this teaching concerning justification to draw a sinner to repentance. And if that is you... If the Spirit of God is using the Word of God to convict you of sin and to draw you to faith in Christ, then turn from your sin truly and confess that Jesus is Lord through the waters of baptism. And this will require you to find a church where the Word of God is proclaimed and the ordinances of Christ are faithfully administered. And I would say contact us if you need help finding such a church. So that is one thing that could be said as to why I would make such a, a statement or ask such a question on the Lord's Day evening to a group of people who are assembled in Jesus' name. But two... There are children and young people present in this assembly. And it is possible that one of these has listened to this teaching on justification, has understood the gospel for the first time, and has come to the realization that they are not Christians because their parents are Christians, but that they must turn from their sins to trust in Christ. Children and, and young people, do you realize that? That you are not necessarily a Christian because your parents are a Christian. In fact, you certainly are not. You are blessed to be raised in a Christian home, to be raised in close proximity to the gospel, but you yourself must at some point believe upon Christ. You must say yourself that Jesus is Lord. You must realize that you are guilty before God, but that God has provided a Savior who has died in your place and who is willing to give you His righteousness should you believe upon Him. And you yourself must be, be called to turn from your sin and to say that Jesus is Lord through the waters of baptism. You must be encouraged to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and acknowledge that you can do nothing to help yourself in this regard. You must receive this gift of salvation. And three, I am aware that it is also possible for a person to attend church for a very long time and even to be a faithful member of the church but to be lost in their sin, having been blind to the truth of the gospel for, for all those years. Some people practice religion, but with pride in the heart. 
this should not surprise us. There are some very religious people who do not get the gospel, who do not believe the gospel. They have pride in their heart. And though they might even profess to trust in Christ, in the heart, they trust only in themselves. And I think we should all be aware of this possibility. We should examine our hearts daily to drive away sin and pride and to be sure that we are indeed in Christ, trusting only in Him and in His finished work on our behalf for the forgiveness of our sins. What is justification? Repeat after me, brothers and sisters. Justification is an act of God's free grace. Wherein he pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight. Only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. This is good news, isn't it? This is the gospel. Let us bow for a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, I pray that no one who is present this evening would walk away in unbelief, but that you would draw all to a sincere faith in Christ. If there is pride in our hearts, Lord, if we do uh, in the heart uh, really trust in ourselves as if we are righteous in and of ourselves, Lord, drive that away. Humble us by your law. Show us that we are indeed sinners. Cause us to run to Christ the Savior. Help us to believe upon him and to cling to him always. Father, I do pray for our young people also. Some of them are very young here who are present, and I pray that in due time you would draw them to faith. May they come to say, Jesus is Lord. May they be baptized, and may they continue to walk with Christ all the days of their life. Lord, we pray that you would have mercy upon our children. We pray that you would show them this grace, O Lord, to bring them to salvation. And we pray that you would keep them. We pray all these things, Lord, for our good, but to the glory of your name. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.